0: Why can't women be judges? Is it trust? Sneas? Something else? And was Ruth Bader Ginsburg really a prophet? I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Jewish Thought Flow. This is your host, Avi Cohen. This week's episode is sponsored by Misogynists of America, trying to ban women since 1776. Okay, this week's episode, we want to talk about women in a justice position, meaning women as judges. Recently, Amy Coney Barrett took over the spot of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They are both women. Amy Coney Barrett is more conservative. Ruth Bader Ginsburg leans more to the left, but they are both women. Now we know in Jewish law, women cannot be judges. They can't partake in the judicial system, uh, at least on the justice aspect of it. They also, as we'll see, are barred from being witnesses. Now, to most people, this probably sounds a little bit strange. Why in the world would women be banned from the judicial system? Why can't they testify? Why can't they be judges? Are they liars? Do they not think well? What is going on here? So, where does this come from? Where does this ruling that women can't be judges actually first arise? So,
1: interestingly, it's not explicitly mentioned in the Gemara. The Gemara says that a woman can't be an aide. In a separate Gemara, it says anybody who can't be a witness cannot be a judge. Now, obviously, if women woman can't be Adem, they can't be witnesses, and anybody who can't be a witness can't be a judge, you can infer from there that a woman can't be a judge. So, Tysus asks, on the spot, that seemingly we have a very famous female judge in Tanakh, in the... we know what Tanakh is. Uh, Dvorah. Dvorah was a judge. So, what's going on there? So, Tysus gives a few answers to Rishonim give a few answers to this question. The first answer in Tysus which is interesting is that when the gemara says that anybody who can't be a judge a witness can't be a judge they mean any man who can't be a witness can't be a judge and therefore women would actually not be excluded from being judges but the other answers among the rishonim one being that she wasn't an actual judge they just accepted upon themselves to follow her rulings even though it wasn't required to follow her rulings because she didn't have a halachic din of a judge or she was a special exception because it was a harasha uh, It's a kind of complicated issue. Um, and then the third reason that she would just teach things, she wouldn't actually give rulings, according to all three of those rulings, the Gemar is in fact saying that women cannot be judges. And Lehalacha, brought down, codified in the Shulchan Aruch is in Chayshah uh in a couple of different places, is that a
0: woman is puzzle to be a judge. So now the question becomes, well, why not? So first, I want to bring your attention to something that's very special about halacha. And I get this quote from The Halachic Mind by Rabbi Soloveitchik from Yeshiva University. And in talking about halacha, he writes as follows, Objectification reaches its highest expression in the halacha. Halacha is the act of seizing the subjective flow and converting it into enduring and tangible magnitudes. It is the crystallization of the fleeting individual experience into fixed principles and universal norms. In short, halacha is the objectifying instrument of our religious consciousness, the form principle of the transcendental act, the matrix in which the formless religion hilu is cast. <laughs> Rev. Soloveitchik is actually one of the uh, one of the few English svarim which requires Scroll to understand what he's saying. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough, but. I think we can say in simpler English, what he's saying is that halacha takes cases, experience, and makes them objective. This is now the law. There were a bunch of subjective factors that are filtered down into the decision. But once that decision is rendered, it's objective. This is the fact. This is the law. And none of the other factors matter anymore. It's the objectification of subjective living. This has been going on for a while. <laughs> I'm not sure it's getting any clearer. Maybe give us an example. So I'll give you an example. Now, this is an extreme and heartbreaking example, but it's an example of what we're talking about. So I'm a coin, right? So there's a law that a coin cannot be, cannot live with somebody who's a halachic zona. Now, a zona, even though it translates as a prostitute, is not necessarily a prostitute. It just means any woman who's engaged in a certain type of promiscuous act regardless of if it's her will or not. So now, a woman who was raped. So for a regular Jew, if she was married to a man and that man wasn't a Kohen, she can then go get married, uh, stay married to that person because she has not violated the trust of the marriage because she was raped. It wasn't according to her will. But a Kohen cannot be with a Zona. A woman is defined as a Zona, even if she was raped and it was completely against her will. A zone is not necessarily a moral judgment. It's just a luchic status. Now, that man and that woman need to get divorced. Now, you can create any sad scenario you can think of. They have five kids. She has cancer. She needs him. He needs her. Make it as sad as possible. If it's clear that she was actually raped, they can no longer be married and they will have to break up. They can't live together, they can't be in the same house together, alone, they will have to break up. Now, that's heartbreaking. I cannot imagine a harder halachic ruling. Yet, it's objective. It's true, and it's a the fact there's no maneuvering it, no matter how hard it is.
1: It's funny you bring that example. We actually had a... Uh,
0: I don't a, see how that example could ever be
1: funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> Rape is never funny. Um, the uh, There was a, a teacher in my yeshiva. Anyway, whatever, he'd come in every once in a while to, to speak. And one time he was talking about, he was giving this whole story about these two people. Um, One was, uh, you know, Jewish, but wasn't religious. And the other one was um, just a, a non-Jew. And they went through a very, very hard life together. And at a certain point, uh, through, you know, staying together and whatever, they decided they wanted to become religious. And the girl decided she wanted to convert. After, you know, he starts to become more religious, she converts finds out he's a Cain, and he finds out that a Cain's not allowed to marry a con- convertee. Yeah. Convertis. 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 <laughs> Chevrolet convertis. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the teacher te- like, turns to the class, and he, he turns to us, and he says, he's like, I know it's halachically not allowed for them to marry, but what would Hashem really want? I think Hashem would really want them to get married.
0: Yeah, and I think that, that's where Soloveitch is coming to say it's No. Halacha is objective. That halacha the, doesn't want. That was the last time mad. he spoke. He spoke to the yeshiva because that's exactly <laughs> wrong. What Hashem wants is exactly what the halacha
1: is, and objectively, that is that is the ruling. And it doesn't really matter how sad the
0: story is. That's what's going to be the correct thing to do. Now there are exceptions in halacha called bemakom Hefsid in a in a case of loss, bemakom tarach gadol in a place of great need, bemakom tsar in a place of tsar. There's certain leniencies, but if those don't apply, they don't apply. Meaning the leniency doesn't come because we feel bad. Within the halacha, if there's a caveat, if there's a sad situation or if it's a hard situation, you can be lenient, then that's fine. But you can't twist halacha just because you feel bad. Contrary to reformed belief, Tikkun ha'olam is not a heter to do whatever you want. Right, because in fact you're destroying the world by not following halacha. So in the case of that kohen um, and the, conver- con- uh, the convertus... Um, you think you're helping them by allowing them to get married because externally they'll be happy. You are actually really hurting them because you're causing them to do something which is objectively immoral and objectively wrong for them to do. Now, this is, I think, uh, different than a secular court and a judge where
1: their rulings have a lot of subjectivity to them. There are obviously some hard lines, but a lot of it is also left up to the judge to decide based on how he feels the subject is. And that's why you find all these studies that come out that Later in the day, after the judge has heard a lot of things, he starts getting less and less uh, empathetic. He starts giving harsher and harsher decrees. Um, and all these things will affect the judge's ruling because there's so much subjectivity allowed in the secular courts, which is not the case in Allah. So having laid that down, I think we can now understand or begin to understand why a woman cannot be a
0: judge. So in last week's episode, we spoke about Noshm, Daitan and Coliseum. And by last week, I don't mean in time because it's been weeks. Um, but... We spoke about from Daikin Colossae and we defined it as emotional, m- emotional stimuli can interfere with their rational and cognitive thinking because there's a lot more connections between the two. And we said that goes both ways. Both thoughts of theirs can stimulate emotions much easier, but emotions could also interfere with thoughts a lot easier and as we mentioned last time this isn't just obvious
1: from interacting with women this is actually scientifically shown to be part of the genetics of males and
0: females right and uh, people were asking us oh where are these sources where are these study there's a book called human diversity written by charles murray which goes through the runs the gamut of the literature that is available on the subject he brings the literature that disagrees he brings his questions on them um and he brings on all the studies that do show this so and just you... in general in in terms of like academia nowadays
1: uh You'll find that the your intuition is generally correct, especially in the social sciences. Most of what the social sciences comes to do now is just kind of bring proofs to things you basically have already seen in your own uh, interactions with people.
0: Right. Okay, so so there's a book called Circle Our Own Spiral. It's actually written by a woman. I think her name is Miriam Kosner, uh, but I'd have to double check that for you, Um now she wrote this Cosman, okay, Cosman. Now she wrote this book, uh, in order to explain what the Jewish role for the woman is. It was like woman hashkafa in Judaism. It's a phenomenal book, actually. Um, now she brought a whole bunch of of studies that they did, um, examining the differences between how women and men are actually children, men, uh, boys and girls. I think teenagers, how they approached cases, uh, that were brought to them and how they understood them and how they answered them. So. So the first quote we'll be reading from the book is from page 227. Um, it is quoting from a book called Caring by Nell Nodding. So it said, instead of proceeding deductively from principles superimposed in situations, women seek to fill out hypothetical situations in a defensible move towards concretization. Suppose, for example, that we are considering appropriate punishments for one who has committed a particular crime. The traditional approach, that of the father, is to ask under what principle the case falls. But the mother may wish to ask more about the culprit and his victims. The first moves immediately to abstraction, where thinking can take place clearly and logistically in isolation from the complicating factors of particular persons, places, and circumstances. The second, again the mother, moves to concretization, where its feelings can be modified by the introduction of fact, the feeling of others, and personal histories. So
1: while there are situations where it might be better to have the approach of the woman, such as maybe dealing with your own kid, in halacha, we want to know exactly what the halacha says. And we don't so much care in terms of giving up psak about the feelings of
0: one person or another. The judge is supposed to be blind, the pasuk says. Right, and even, even the feeling of, even where halacha allows maneuverization due to financial circumstances or... Uh, certain particular situations it's not that the situation should impact the judge emotionally he should objectively look and see if the situation fits the criteria so men in general
1: when they see a situation their approach is more to take whatever the law is and lay it down on the situation while the woman will try to expand the situation to try to get into the feelings of what the person feels and what's the person's history and so on and so forth which can in some ways, be a positive way of dealing with somebody, but in terms of halacha, we'll skew the
0: judgment right so let's take our case again, so let's say the uh the Cohen let's take your case right The Cohen finds out that his love of his life is actually a convert um so he goes before a judge now let's say there is a complicated issue to really figure out if she's actually a convert, if he's actually a cohen, what the actual halacha is now, a woman will be much more impacted by the story around the halacha so this is the first problem with women being judges is
1: that halacha requires an objective view of a situation not based on subjective feelings and a woman naturally is more in tune with those feelings and is more affected
0: by those feelings now maybe also we can explain at least one of the explanations why a woman can't be a witness it's because of a witness see something, they're halakhically obligated to go and testify to force a woman into a situation where she has to present the objective truth, regardless of the feelings involved, would be a betrayal of the woman's nature. Again, it's not a problem that a woman has a Nashim Daitin Khalisain. That's not a problem by woman. It's a perfect thing for a woman. It helps in so many areas of life. One of the areas where it might hurt, though, is objective halachic rendering. So to force her to be in that situation and rule against a person and testify and aid in the objectification of a person's very subjective experience would be a betrayal of who she is and how she relates to the world. So that's the first issue, is that the ability to give this psock objectively is a little bit
1: tougher. Now the second issue is that they're actually more easily convinced. They're easily convinced by emotional stimuli. They're easily convinced by social pressures. So yeah, so we're going to give a few examples of this. Brought down in the social sciences in order to fully express
0: this point. So, Insider Magazine actually released a study. The study is um, called Group Dynamics: Theory, Research, and Practice. Uh, it was in Volume Six, uh, March 2002 of that of that uh, magazine. So, the the uh, the study is called Online Persuasion: An Examination of Gender Differences in Computer-Mediated Interpersonal Influence. So, the purpose of this research was to investigate how computer-mediated communication affects persuasion in dyadic interactions. Two studies compared participants' attitudes after hearing a series of arguments from a same gender communicator via either email or face-to-face interaction. So basically, the participants' attitudes were measured after having a communication with their same gender, so they didn't want to take a like a man would be dominating the woman, or either way, um, and they were either email or face to face. So that's where the two types uh, of interactions. In study one, the first study, women showed less mes- message agreement in response to email versus face to face messages, whereas men showed no difference between communication modes. So in other words,
1: women are more easily convinced by human-to-human interaction than over a machine. Again, this fits perfectly into the human-object split, which we uh, emphasized in the last episode and which really runs through pretty much every aspect of the man and woman's life. They actually replicated this study, this time allowing the man and the woman to talk to the person, the communicator, the person running the experiment beforehand. And the more they spoke... The woman; the more the woman spoke with the person, led to more agreement by the end of the thing. The more the man spoke to this communicator, the less he agreed. So there we see again that the woman's ability to agree is largely influenced
0: by this interpersonal connection. Something that would be catastrophic from a judge. Right. So now this next uh, uh, source comes from Human Diversity, uh, page sixty-nine in the book Human Diversity. So it was a it was a, a survey done with with actually women and men. Uh, from the upper um, echelon of intelligence. They took very gifted men and women for this. It was a certain study, I forgot. It took a certain IQ score and higher for men and women. Um, And they asked the men and women a bunch of questions. So from that study, they showed that this is something that's more common by men. The possibility of discomforting others does not deter me from stating the facts. Meaning, when they asked that question, more men said, that's true. The possibility of discomforting others does not deter me from stating the facts. More women said, that's not true. The possibility of to others does, in fact, deter me from stating the facts. Again, another statement. The prospect of receiving criticism from others does not inhibit me from expressing my thoughts, meaning just because I will receive criticism, I'm not going to stop saying what I think. This, again, was a male-dominated answer. Women, of course, were much, more, um, much less likely to say their thoughts if they're going to receive
1: criticism. Right now, I saw this, actually, because my, my, uh, my wife's on a corona chat. And there's a lot of things that are said in that chat, which, you know, I strongly disagree with and my wife strongly disagrees with. But my wife would almost never mention anything. The only times that anything I mentioned on the chat was when I stole her phone and sent out chats on my own. But, you know, on the on the uh, on the, the men's chat, when any topic of Corona comes up and people disagree, people are talking all the time about how
0: they disagree with each other. So now, again, picture a judge. You're sitting there. There's the cohen and the con- convert in front of you. They're both crying that they're not going to have to get divorced forever, and you have to just go, well, I guess, the, you know, this is the Lacha. That's obviously going to be very hard for women to do more than men. Yeah, I don't know if you have this also, but, like, at the airport, right, when I have, like, a bag that's
1: over overweight or there's some sort of issue, I always want to get the female uh, – what are they called? Not, not flight attendant people. Whatever, the attendant people. I always want to get a female – because they're much easier to convince to, you know, break the law a little bit because of the personal
0: situation. You're also a six-foot handsome male. Oh, I'm just say that. <laughs> my that's wife concurs. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, I'm saying that. Um, Would the women please be quiet in the back? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I obviously always look for the men. You know, that's my, my expertise. Um, anyway, so that's another reason, again, another reason why women would not be judges is because... Again, when things get uncomfortable, uh, women have a harder time expressing the their unbiased opinion. So now we get on to the third issue. The first issue being women have a harder time viewing things objectively,
1: allowing subjective factors to get involved in their decision-making. And the second issue being that women are more easily convinced in face-to-face interactions, which is how a Besdin, a Jewish court of law, works. Now the third issue is perhaps the most uh, touchy, and people might get the most offended by it, but the facts are the facts and... facts don't care about your feelings as they say this is that men while on average being around the same intelligence as women at the extremes of intelligence both extremes
0: men dominate the area so that means men are both stupider and smarter than women meaning when you get to the top percent of iq males start to dominate just like they dominate when you get to the bottom extremes of iq so while overall, if you look at the average IQ of gender, you won't see a difference. If you start focusing in on certain IQ points, you will start to see a difference. And again, the more you get to the tails, the more you'll see a male-dominated sphere. Right, so you'll have the Einsteins and the Hawkins of the world all being male, but you'll also have the George Floyds and the Jacob Blakes also being male. And, as we know, Halacha is a very, very complex area. Tyre in general is very difficult, but even if it wasn't complex... Obviously, when you're picking a judge, which literally gets to decide halacha, you want the smartest person in the room. Now, when you're talking about a room of the entire Jewish population, the smartest people in the room are all going to be men. Because again, on the far extremes, the men dominate. So a judge in Torah is the top, top, top percent of thinkers. So if that's a male-dominated sphere of intelligence, there's a reason why you'd pick the male to be the judge. Right. So now this is such an interesting yf-tar. Um There's a pasuk and mishlei which says out of a, out of a, out of a thousand uh, comes a hundred, and from those a hundred comes ten, and from the ten becomes one. So basically, out of a thousand, you have it gets broken into groups, and there's a one in that. So the ifeitar explains as follows. He says out of every a thousand people who go to learn, a hundred will understand pasukim. They'll understand the simple shot of a pasuk of the chumish. From those 100, you'll have 10 that will understand Mishnah. And from those 10, you will only have one who will understand Gemara and could go out and paskin and teach. So again, out of 1,000, you have one. The point the De'Aphitar is saying is that it is very, very difficult to be the top percent of learning. So he continues and he says, and on that we say, Adam is one of a 1,000. Man is one of a 1,000. But Isha, you won't even find one in a thousand. A woman, you can't find that one in a thousand who will be that successful learning, because here's your great phrase, "Kinoshim Daitan Kalas, because women are Daitan Kalas, and therefore there are none of them at the very extremes of the intelligence. This again is the Efeitar, on Karaba, Parsha Baze, Simenolif. Now, obviously, in actuality, it's not that the
1: smartest people of the Jews actually make judges that's just ideally the system is brought out that way and therefore even though it doesn't always work out that way the rule is that women can be judges now an interesting question can be asked why don't we just make it intelligence-based if the whole reason men are the judges not the woman is because women are not be, or at least not even one in a thousand but maybe there's
0: one woman why don't they just make it intelligence-based and women won't be able to make it because they're naturally not able to. Well, I'll broaden your question that it's not only for the intelligence. Any of the factors we suggested, right, the uh, inability to be objective, uh, the ability to be easily convinced, those are just averages that women are on average more susceptible to those problems. There are obviously women who are more objective than a lot of men are. There are obviously women who are not as easily convinced as a lot of men are. Why don't we just make it merit-based and not gender-based. Right. Think of like the NBA.
1: The NBA doesn't have a hard rule. Women are allowed to come in. The WNBA doesn't allow men in. But the NBA allows women in. They don't make it in because they don't have enough merit. So why isn't the uh, Jewish judge system brought out in the same way?
0: Okay. That's a good question. Matthew, do you have any answers for us? Uh, I do have one answer. Okay. Uh,
1: so the rules in the terror are meant to bring on a certain society and meant to formulate the way that man and woman live their lives. Now, if a woman was allowed to be judge, and let's say that a judge is – in a certain way, an ideal, um, as it is the the top tier of society in a certain respect, it'll have women studying to become a judge in the hopes that they'll be able to make it. Now, that's not going to work out for not just an overall majority of women, pretty much no woman, maybe even no woman at all, are able to
0: make this job. Not only that, Ter does not have a chiv for them to learn, and their main, we'll speak about this in different podcasts, but their main purpose in life is not to become the big Talmud scholar, the big, Talmud Chaham. So why would you encourage them to pursue such an avenue? And contrary to popular belief, even if a
1: mi- minority of people do have a certain ability, if it's such an underwhelming minority that pushing it on the masses will cause so much more destruction. And I'll just give a perfect example of that: uh, the transgender movement, right? So people with gender dysphoria is, which is the disease where a person uh, has a mental problem where they think that they're the opposite gender. So that actual disease is very, very rare it's about 1 in 5000. Approximately 1 in 5000 people have it. When you push to kids that oh, because of those kind of kids, therefore gender is kind of fluid and you can choose whatever you want. So then you have a lot more people who think that they're the opposite gender and it causes so much more harm than it does saving that 1 in 5000 who has this problem. Yeah, I mean
0: there's other examples. Just even take like obviously there are women who would rather work than raise kids. But in our today- because of that in today's society we push that men and women should be equally sharing jobs and women should go to work just like men should and what happens is is you have a pressure to go to work and it creates a societal norm and a stigma an environment within which women are encouraged to go to work if the tire doesn't want them going to work then it's not going to want to create that environment if the tire doesn't feel the place of a woman is to be a judge by allowing them to try out for it would be to leave room for a society to be created where they would be encouraged to try out for it, which, again, would run contrary to their nature and cause a lot more people who don't have that nature to go pursue it. Right, and you actually see this because the we'll talk about in a later episode about women's chiyav of
1: learning, how they don't have a chiyav to learn, and they're not actually allowed to learn Gemara. But because there's a, an exception for women who really, really want to learn Gamara and consider themselves smart enough, so now you have entire seminaries saying, oh, because you're allowed to, so now we're going to have entire seminaries which push girls to learn Gamara. And then you have all these
0: girls who have no idea how to think learning Gamara, coming up with fake Psock. And again, it's not even like gender-based. Most men are not fitting to give Psock. Most men are not really fitting to learn Gamara. It's a very, very recent thing that every single male goes to yeshiva for a significant amount of time that's very recent as we saw from the fetar it's one in a thousand who's going to be the guy just like in the secular world to be the top at any skill it's one in a thousand it's one in 10,000 going to be the top top but at least for men even if you don't make it to the top
1: top you have a you and have a mitzvah of learning right. which means you know you can spend you know 10 years in kol you're getting a mitzvah for every second of that that you're learning and then if it doesn't work out for you you can get a job or whatever you want But you don't have
0: to make a judge cuz the learning in itself the 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 what is it called? The pursuit of learning itself. The means. Yeah. The means themselves are the end. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that a woman is not makayim mitzvah by learning. That's a more complicated uh, topic, and I hope we will do a podcast on women learning. Um, but it's certainly not a chiyav for them to learn. So anyways, that concludes our episode on why women shouldn't be judges. Uh, I would say you be the judge, but if you're a woman, you're unable to. Although if you are a woman listening to this podcast, odds are
1: you are very intelligent, especially if you made it past the first seven minutes, which is the current drop off point
0: of many of our listeners. So thank you for sticking with it. Right. I had a uh, I sent a podcast to a, a couple that leans a little more liberal and I asked them it was on the um, it was on the podcast of why women shouldn't be in magazines because uh, I constantly see this woman posting on social media, you know. Uh, all upset at Mishpacha magazine for not putting women, so I sent them a podcast. You know, maybe she'd be interested in hearing the other side, you know. She seems God fearing. She's up in arms at the uh, travesty of the, the <laughs> Chil Hashem of of not putting women in magazine. So I thought, well maybe you want to see what tires you on it is. And uh the the husband texts me back that they got in three minutes and then they, you know it just didn't accord with their values. Um so they stopped. So if you're still listening to our podcast, you're certainly fit into the category of a wise woman. So I don't know if you noticed, but about halfway through this podcast,
1: my voice kind of changed. That's because we took a a couple of days in between, uh, what's it called? Recording this. And uh, I I caught a a virus, a flu, maybe corona. But don't worry, we're taking all the necessary precautions. I'm currently holding a bottle of water in my hand, ready to drink. So we're all safe from corona.
0: Well, that'll certainly stop it. This has been Jewish Thought Flow. I'm Avi Cohen. I'm Mati Cohen. And this again has been Jewish Thought Flow.